Hello, and welcome to Life Lessons from a Total Failure, the podcast, a show that shares stories from passionate people living life on their own terms, and one that reminds us how life's failures and struggles are just the plot twists needed in our own personal stories to help us get to where we were meant to be. I'm your host, MJ Doherty. Grow up. You're so immature. Why can't you act your age? These are things we have most likely said or have had said to us at some point or another. It's always about growing up and acting like an adult. But why? What exactly does acting like an adult mean? If you mean being a responsible person, then just say that. But when people talk about adulting and being an adult, they usually tend to mean not childlike, which implies leaving childhood actions, likes, and philosophies behind. But what's so wrong with being childlike? As long as you're responsible and doing what you need to do, who cares how you act? If you still love eating peanut butter and jelly and playing video games, what does that matter to someone else? If your idea of a fun outing is going to an amusement park or seeing the new Pixar movie, does that make you less of an adult? I tend to think that those who think young stay young. When we embrace our inner child and let it grow with us through our adulthood, we are actually just keeping our full personality intact. After all, we are still the same person at 30, 40, 50, even 80 that we were when we were 10. Sure, we have changed and experienced a lot more, but does that mean you no longer love the same things you did as a kid? There is something really special about people who know how to keep the best of themselves through all stages with them as they grow. And my guest today, actor and voiceover artist J.P. Karliak, is that kind of special guy. He is also a Northeastern Pennsylvania boy like me that I have known since I was 16 years old. We were both music men back in the day and met while competing in singing festivals. Today, he is pretty much the same fun, energetic, and theatrical boy that he was all those years ago. And I think this is part of the key to his success. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend J.P. Karliak to the show. J.P., welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, you are an actor from day one. You went to school for it. You live, breathe, music, theater, acting, all that stuff. But you ended up going down a road where um, most people didn't really anticipate you are behind the camera, and you're the voices. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think I anticipated it either. Um, you know, I went to school for theater. Uh, I, you know, I came out here to be an on-camera actor, and I even did it for a little bit. But I just found, you know, I grew up an only child, and I was always doing voices in front of the mirror in the bathroom. and uh, As we all do. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, and I just found that doing voiceover was so much more freeing. That I could play a lot. That while I was getting typecast more in my on-camera career, that I was getting, I was having more and more diverse opportunities in voiceover. So I figured, well, this seems like the better avenue to go down. So interesting. So we're gonna talk about your voiceover career, but first, let's start about you. Tell me about you and and your background and and all that good stuff. Well, we're both from Scranton. Well, I'm not from Scranton. Well, I'm neither from am Clark I. Summit. And neither am I. I'm from I'm from Dunmore. Right. We both are from towns that literally touch the border of Scranton. So that we, and say, we Scranton, say Scranton, but we're nobody, not. Yeah. Because <laughs> some people have seen the office so that right, they are at yes. least aware of where Scranton is. Exactly. Nobody knows Clark Summit or Dunmore. No. But if they do, we love them. Yes, because we love where we're from. They're cute little towns. They are. They are. Um, yeah, no, I grew up in, uh, in Dunmore, Pennsylvania. Uh, I went to school in D.C. for two years at the Catholic University of America. Uh, and then I transferred out to USC and I stayed. Um, and I've been there, I've been here ever since. And, um, 
Yeah, I started in an on-camera career that slowly transitioned to voiceover, and I've been doing that for about 11 years now. You know, you your career definitely um, has taken different you know, shapes along the way. Um, you know, you've done on-camera work as an actor. You also have done theater. You did a uh-huh. one-man show, correct? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, Tell us about that. Uh, in... I guess 2009, uh, I started writing a solo show, uh, autobiographical musical comedy called Donna Madonna, which um, it was kind of my story. I'm an adopted kid. You know, I was raised by a uh, an Italian Catholic doting delicate woman uh, from northeastern Pennsylvania and uh, who I always thought of as like Donna Reed. Of course. And then later... Uh, uh, I met my birth mother, who very coincidentally lives in California, and she is in fashion, and she is very hip and married to a British pop star and, like, all sorts of stuff, and and she's like Madonna. So the whole solo show was about the genesis of of having those two personalities kind of playing ping pong in my head and what my relationships are with both of them. So tell us, what are your relationships? How did... I mean, that's such a story right there. How did your brain process all of this stuff? Oh, I don't think it still has. Um, no. <laughs> sometimes it's just like, what? Yeah. It's uh, all a process, right? You oh, know, yeah. Processing yeah, yeah. and going through the process. It is, it is a never-ending journey. and it's, But it's all been really, really wonderful. I think something that I realized in touring the show and meeting, every time I did a performance of the show, I would meet somebody in some way touched by the adoption community. Either right. They themselves were, or they had given up a kid, or they had adopted a kid, or their siblings, blah, blah, blah. And the one thing that was kind of true across the board, as diverse as everybody's stories were, is that I had it real good. Yeah. Like, I was raised by parents that, by and large, I pretty well got along with. Right. And when I had the experience of meeting my birth mother, we clicked immediately, and we've had a relationship ever since. That is, both of those scenarios are just so not the case for a great many people in the adoption community. Yeah, and, and to have both is, I'm, I'm, I'm hashtag blessed. <laughs> yes, that, that sounds like hashtag fate. Um, right. How did it, you know, have to ask, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but mm-hmm. how did it go between your moms? Like, I would always think that as, if I were adopted, I know I would want to know who my adopt or my biological parents were, but I would be so afraid to hurt the feelings of the one that I love and call mom or dad. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm ultra, ultra protective of my mom. I mean, that's yeah. what most of the show is, is, right. is just protecting her from my desire to meet my birth mother, my being a homosexual, my like... You are? What? Crazy. You too? Yeah, no, it's true. Um... Yeah, and uh, and just protect you know just trying to keep her in my own little bubble of that I'm the good son I'm doing right. everything right that I'm you know so yeah it was it was really hard and I I don't even know if I would have told her immediately uh, or at least before I had met my birth mother um, but my mom is just ultra intuitive mm-hmm. and she just asked me one day you know she she just asked if I ever had an inkling of wanting to do that and it, i was already in contact with my birth mother oh wow it was and i was going to meet her you know within weeks that had have been a very anxious time for you uh, i mean not yeah. just like oh i'm gonna meet my birth mom but oh i i'm doing it kind of behind the scenes so no one finds out yeah 
I mean, the way that I thought about it is I just kind of figured like, all right, we're going to meet for coffee. If it's, you know, if it's a bust, if it's like we have no connection and it was just kind of a one-off thing that's like, yeah. I'm, this was nice, but, you know. Right, because it could have gone that way. You sure. could have gone and been like, have a nice life, take care. Yeah, and, you know, and then after that, I could have made a decision like, all right, maybe I'll tell my mom, maybe I won't. I don't know if she needs to know that, you know. Right. But, of course, but you know, my mom being, you know, knowing exactly what I'm thinking at all times, <laughs> uh, just asked. And so I just, you know, vomited, you know, like, blah, this is, you know what's happening and um my mom is an extremely self-sacrificing individual you know you know the phrase um uh, put your mask on before helping others right she will assist the entire plane before oh, yeah. yeah as my mother would too the good nipa irish italian catholics whatever that, right. that's how they're they're bred Absolutely. you know <laughs> everybody before yourself yeah exactly and um you know I, i'm not i'm not entirely sure I know that couldn't have been easy for her. Yeah. To to know have this information to have met my birth mother, which she did later on, but she did, and she did it, you know, with a smile on her face, and did it in the warm and loving way that she does most everything in her life. So, um, go mom, amazing. Yeah. Mom. yeah, yeah. She is. She, yeah, she's tops. That's awesome. So mm -hmm. it happened. It went well, and now you you have two relationships with you know two women in your life, and you do this one man show. Which I actually love this whole thing because it's kind of like, you know, what I did with my life. I mm -hmm. had I had this, you know, exceptionally crazy situation in my life. And what did I do with it? I kind of turned it into a career. Oh, and, yeah. You know, because you got to take what you can with what you're given. Um, so you do this show and it's, it goes over very well. You get, you know, rave reviews and um, people seem to really like it. And then at that point where you're like, I'm going to be... A theater star or was it just a temporary thing I don't, I, I don't know I mean I think I think I, I when I set out to do that show it was kind of during a lull there wasn't a lot going on and but it was it was a personal passion project that I always intended to do as as sort of a love letter to my the, you know these two women it just so happened freakishly that people really liked it and yeah. you know I toured with it it won awards it was it was great so that was unexpected, and so I rode that out for a while, and then um, I don't know. I mean, I I think there there's still many things that I love about solo performing. I'm writing my second show now, so I, you know it's not like I'm abandoning it. And right. I, and I also love things like the moth storytelling hour, and um, you know other things like that. You just like to perform. You're a yeah, performer. it's great. But I did find that the because I had I met a lot of people in like the fringe circuit and everything who were who would do festival after festival after festival. Right. And a you, uh, you won a fringe award, didn't you? Mm -hmm. In the um, New York, fringe, in New York, right? and uh, in San Francisco. So with that and, alone, you yeah. could go. People do that for they they make careers off of going to fringe festivals and stuff, right? Sure. I think at the time, a, I had a day job. And uh, I wasn't quite prepared to give that up. And, you know, getting, as you know, having done this enterprise for yourself, like, it's that first bit that's like, oh, God, I really got to, like, I'm going to have to take out so many loans to make oh, this yes. happen. You know, Those credit card bills start going up and up and up, and you start panicking, but yeah, it's like, you just got to do it. Yeah. It, it's like, I'm never going to pay for this, am I? <laughs> but, um, you know, I... I the fringe circuit is not one that has a lot of high returns, you know, in terms right. of like, oh, I'm going to make a billion dollars on this. No, you do the fringe circuit because 
do you have a message? Do you have an art that you want to share? You know, it's for the love of it. You have a drive. For the love of the game. Right. It's passion. It's just like writing a book. If you think you're going to make money writing a book, you're a fool. Yeah. <laughs> you don't make money writing exactly. a book. Exactly. But you, you do it because you love it. You write it because there is, you know. Something inside you you want to get You have out. word diarrhea that just needs to get out. Absolutely. I think I, you know, I, after having that experience, I knew that I definitely wanted to continue writing and continue creating work for myself. But I think having just been on a stage by myself, for several for several years, I'm like I would really love to see people again, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Like in in as performers, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm doing a scene with somebody else. Hello, how are you? you <laughs> and know? all the pressure isn't on you solely every night all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Which I is mean, nice. I will say, as a producer, producing my own show, I do love that I'm the only one that yeah. had that like, the buck stops here. The control. Yeah. Control is nice. Yeah. That it, that I mean. If I have anything to blame for the success or the failure of a show that I'm producing that is a one-man show, it's all on me, right. you know. And um, I just find, I found that in other th- things that I've produced, to greater or lesser success, there have been uh, other fun things. I just, um, you get so caught up in, uh, I want it to be this way, but I'm dealing with 12 other people. And right. my, where is my vision? You and know? trying to kind of bend to please people and... Sure, and, you because know, that, you want that's it. a common thing. You want everybody to be happy, but you still need to find that line between getting what you want done and having everybody still on board. Right, and you know, and most of the stuff that I've done is comedy. So you know, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, don't make people cry. Yeah. While trying to make other people laugh, you know, like nothing should be taken that seriously. Right. Yeah, but I, I, I get very comfortable producing my own vision my way. But, you know, it, it ran its course at some point, and you were ready mm-hmm. to go back into the world with people. So, sure. So was that when you kind of transitioned into voiceover, or were you going back trying to do, you know, auditions and pick up roles? You know, I'd been doing – I got my voiceover agent in – what is it, 2017, 2006. Um, and, yeah, so I had been auditioning and, you know, getting little things here and there, and it was just this very slow uphill climb that – you know, the first year, I think I maybe maybe had one gig. Well, and I don't know if people know this, and maybe you can, you know, fill them in a little bit more. But sure. voiceover acting is so competitive. It's extremely yeah. competitive. It's a very, very, very hard field to get into. And if you don't know what voiceover is, it's, you know, it, it could be anything from the people that are the narrators of a, of a show or narrating a com- commercial. You could be the voice of a cartoon character. Um, it encompasses all of that, but mm-hmm. there seems to audiobooks. be... Audiobooks. Audiobooks, right. There's a ton of them. Yeah. But there seems to be major players in the industry that just mm-hmm. kind of get a bulk of the work. And from what I've heard from people that are in the voiceover industry or you know are trying to pursue it, that it's, it's just tough. It's really tough. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tricky nut to crack. Not impossible. Um, and nowadays, especially with the ability, you know, in the old days it used to be we auditioned on reel to reel. <laughs> I never did that. But uh, but now, you know, with the internet, a casting office can put out a notice that goes out to you know eight thousand people. Yeah. And they'll send in auditions from all over the country. And that's that could be union projects. That doesn't necessarily have to be you know just like that random. You know, Vance Goy's diamond mind, you know. Right. Oh, <laughs> no. I'm a lucky girl, Ray. Oh, boy. If you're from northeastern Pennsylvania, you know that's a really great commercial. Vance Goy diamond mind yeah. on Monday Street. On Monday Street. On Monday that's Street. Monday Street. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, moving on. Yep. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, the voiceover I think is is super competitive for a lot of reasons. One, because you know celebrities are starting to get into it a lot in animation, and um, and also when you know in on camera, there's the big guns who played the big roles. You know, right. the Brad Pitts and Julia Roberts and people much younger than them. But right. you know, the, the ones that we the celebrities we all know, but they need other the little people like to us support them and to, keep to play all the right. you know play all the little roles in voiceover the big people also play the little roles right you know because you get you know we get paid the same for one to three voices so it's like Wait. they might as well uh so yeah it, it's a much much smaller pool. much much smaller cast much much smaller right. pools but it, there's so much variety in the work you know i mean to be honest in my on-camera career I did two TV shows. Uh, the first one I played a flamboyant event planner, and the second one I played a flamboyant bellhop singing telegram guy. Wow, it's so weird they didn't typecast you or anything. I know, I... <laughs> um, but in voiceover, I've played like a heavy metal werewolf rocker. I've played, you know, I have played Batgirl's gay best friend, so that was typecast, but I loved that. That was a lot of fun. That's pretty great. Um, but yeah, I played the Tin Man. I played, you know, like hard nosed bosses. I played villains, so many villains. I played, you know, dorky people. So weird you really aliens. get to like, you get to be so much more expressive because they're they're looking, they're just listening to your voice and right. not and, putting all the other things around it. Right, they're not watching me swish into a room, so they they're not making <laughs> a lot of prejudgments. Um, so, all right, so you you know you get into voiceover, you start doing it, you like it, you've had this evolution of your career, mm-hmm. and and now it seems like, you know, you've gotten you know a good reputation for yourself and you're booking things. So, you're tell us about the project you're currently doing. Uh I can't actually. Oh okay. no, I can't. No, oh, I can so. tell you about the one that's out, but there's actually another one that oh. I'm very excited about. But that'll be next year. Um, you could do an update for your. Listeners. All right, we'll do it. Uh, but yeah, currently, um, I'm working on. Uh, I have two continuing projects that um, I do. One, I'm Wiley Coyote for the Looney Tunes. Just so cool. And if anybody listening but, that's going, but does Wiley Coyote can yep, talk? That's the question. Right. Uh, in this, he does. And okay. in the old, uh, in the old cartoons, he held signs. There's well, there's may, about three cartoon, three or four cartoons where oh, he did actually talk at the end. Like he'll like at the end when they like break the actual scene, he'll like pretend that he's like clocking out or something, right? Does he oh, that talk? was the, that was one with the with uh, the sheep. Yes, it was, it was like him right, and the sheep. Him dog. the sheep, and yeah, yeah, I remember that. And they yeah. clock out. and They're like, all right, we'll see you tomorrow, same time. Yeah, love that one. Um, Me too. There was also two that he did with Bugs Bunny, not the Roadrunner. Okay, where he was like, hello, rodent. I'm Wiley Coyote, a genius, and I'm here to eat you. And, of course, Bugs totally destroys him. Um, and then there's one, and this is my favorite, and where I got a lot of my inspiration from. There's one where it's, you know, it's a typical coyote chasing the Roadrunner thing, but it gets really meta because it pulls out, and you see these two little boys sitting in front of a TV screen, like inches away from this TV screen, watching the Roadrunner and the coyote. And one's wearing a cowboy hat, and, you know, they're just silly kids. And they're just talking about the show while their eyes are glued to the screen. And then one says, why does he chase the Roadrunner all the time? And then Wiley stops in his track, and he's like, well, that's a fascinating question. <laughs> and he pulls down this chart, kind of like a beef chart in a way, that divides up the Roadrunner's silhouette into all these different flavor profiles. He's right. like... The Roadrunner has many different flavors. Pistachio, banana, <laughs> almond. You know, and he goes through the whole thing and he's licking his lips the whole time. It's so, 
delightfully pretentious and just you know it it just it reeks of the faux fancy that that wiley is and how much he thinks of himself and yeah that's what that it's from that cartoon that i sort of pull from it's it's fascinating to see how you see him because you know you look at these characters you know them your whole life these are characters that most people know from birth until today sure you know they're characters that never die um what is that like to be able to be part of something that is so ongoing and so ingrained in our culture? I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I Well, I mean, segue. This also goes to the Tin Man, you know, playing that. That on, segue wasn't on purpose. Because yeah. <laughs> we're going to move on to that one, too. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is on Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, both which of is these, now out on um, Boomerang? Yes. Right? Both of them uh, show, I think, exclusively, I think, on uh, on the Boomerang app which you can watch the first episode of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz for free. Yeah, so, and our version of the Wizard of Oz is very much pulled from the movie. I mean, we okay. pull a lot of stuff from the books, but it, the stylization, like the Emerald City, looks like yeah. the one from the book, the movie. You know, I'm, I'm definitely doing Tin Man from the movie, or at least my version of that, you know. and so cool. Yeah, you know, so like, you know, a delightful little mid-Atlantic accent. Oh, my heart, you know. And then Wiley, who is also a legacy character. So, yeah, it's... Do you it's, find it to be... Do, do you feel pressure? Sure. Oh, my God. Because, of these, because... Are, these are characters people know mm-hmm. and love. Yeah. I mean, I think with Wiley, I get a little more freedom because, like you just right. did, most people are like, he talks? Yeah. So there are the diehard fans who absolutely remembers what he sounds like. And, they, of course, they can be nitpicky. But, yeah, but unlike people who were watching the guy who does Bugs or Yosemite Sam or Foghorn Leghorn. Um, They want them to sound so specific. Spot on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, then again, the (laughs) one brilliant thing about being a voiceover actor, with very few exceptions, like if I go to a convention every once in a while, I get recognized. Right. Nobody recognized me. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm getting people running up to me like, I hated you in that show. You know, like... (laughs) So I can live my life and go to the grocery store. And, you know, even if I, you know, even if I blow up and start doing all of these different shows. Right. There's maybe five or six voiceover actors that have, like, that get stuck. Like a, and like, and nowhere, and still nowhere near as much as the big stars. Right. On the only camera. one I could think of is Bart, uh, Lisa. Nancy Cartwright. Or Nancy Cartwright, right. Yes. Who does Bart. Like, oh, I would yeah. know her if I saw her in the grocery store. Sure, sure. But she's not going to be mobbed. She could No. She, it would just she be she like, oh. talk to two people and be like, I'm going to continue on my day. Thank you very right. much. You know. Um, so that's nice. I call it, like, the Lisa Loeb syndrome. Everybody knows the song, but they wouldn't know if they fell on top of her. Well, no. Lisa <laughs> Loeb, like, because Lisa Loeb wears those adorable glasses. Right. Once she takes them off, it's like, oh, who are you? Who are you? Oh, that's a good point. You know, yeah. all white brunette girls look same. Like, yeah. If she you doesn't know. have straight hair and small glasses on, I don't know who she is. Yeah, you know, or like, um, bless him, the Verizon Now Sprint guy. Like, oh, right. He takes off those glasses. I might recognize him. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. That yeah. Is, that so is there's, a, the, cool. there's the anonymity that, that that goes that way, which is nice. It's, it's yeah. kind of ref- refreshing. You get, to, you get to, you know, create and be an actor and be creative and do all that stuff. But you don't have to deal with the um, added pressure that can come when you do hit some things. You know, you know I've had guests and I have friends that are in the industry that you know will have people will lose that 
um, understanding that they're not the character that they play. Right. And will be very forward on how they feel about that character and stop them anywhere and give them a piece of their mind. This oh, is really interesting. Oh, especially. Well, I mean, like, are you a Game of Thrones person? Of course. But I didn't see the finale, so don't tell oh, me. Oh, no, no, no. I was telling you. Okay. No, this is, I'm going to go, like, seasons back. Like, okay. Joffrey. Yeah. That poor kid. Right. I hear he is lovely in person. Yeah, but you just look at him and you want to slap him. I, Helena Bonham Carter, I can't watch her in anything because she's but Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange. Lestrange. Yeah. I just, I hate her. Oh, yeah. It's irrational. I know she's probably a lovely human being and a fabulous actress, but she was so good at that role that I just hate her. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't hate her, but having seen her do that and also Mrs. Lovett and also Marla from Fight Club, I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her. Right, exactly. Which is probably pretty far because she's a slight woman, but like, you know. Yeah, um, I, I don't hate her either. I mean, I don't hate characters. Oh, no, I, no, no, I, no, no, I can no. take myself out of reality or out of my suspended reality oh, enough yeah. to know that I don't hate them. But that gut instinct comes out. I see her oh, and I'm sure. just like, I want to scratch her face off. <laughs> sure. Just be like, I'm sorry. I, I just, I have a loathing towards you. Right yes, now. I'm sure yeah. she's a lovely person. Which is exactly how I would feel towards, you know, towards Joffrey or towards. Yeah. Um, but it um, just shows how they yeah. do their job so well. Yeah. Because they do. You, know, they do. you evoke the emotion. But voice actors, you don't have to worry about that because most people yeah. don't know what you look like. And the nice thing is, too, like, um, I mean, I should I should be clear. Like, it's not like I'm like, I don't want to see the fans ever. No, it's actually really cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, I did a signing at New York Comic Con with the, the Looney Tunes crew. So cool. And it was so cool, you know, just meeting all those people. But it's so weird in the sense that the minute that you, like, step on the other side of, you know, the threshold of the Javits Center... Nobody knows who you are. Right. It's over. But, you know, occasionally I'll drop in on forums and stuff like that online and yeah, just be like, so cool. what are they saying? Oh, oh, well, that's rude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we have that in every career. You get feedback. And um, it, it's just, I think that for what you do, it's probably, you know, more exciting and more positive than anything else because you're playing characters that people love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're getting to put your own spin on them and continue a... Um, a legacy, and that's that's really cool. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, uh, I grew up with the Looney Tunes. Uh, I would watch them on Nickelodeon. I think they were on it like on Friday nights at like eight o'clock, and it was like it was in tandem. It would be like Looney Tunes and Rocky and Bullwinkle, and you know, just to see that those all have a, a continued life. Yeah, and the, they have so a cool. nostalgia about them too. That kind of no matter what age group you are you can look back and remember them from your childhood. It's, you know, it's oh, like sure. Scooby-Doo, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's Scooby-Doo has been on continuously. And no matter how old you are, at some point you watch Scooby-Doo and there's a nostalgia about it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, as, as people of our age, we've seen the original Scooby-Doo in reruns. We've seen like, you know, uh, what was it called? What's up Scooby-Doo or what's, yep. you know, which was uh, like the pup name Scooby-Doo, pup name Scooby-Doo, yeah. which was like the, almost like the saved by the bell Scooby-Doo yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so, been so many, so many iterations, you know, with, yeah. Their Looney Tunes has been that way also, you know, Disney characters. I mean, they, they kind of make them for the different generations. I mean, my favorite cartoon, one of my favorites was Tiny Toons. Oh, my I God. I loved that. If they could bring that back, I'd be a happy guy. Tiny right, Toons. Work, work on that one. Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, to me, oh, are, Animaniacs was amazing. are the most brilliant, the, the most yeah. intelligently done comedic cartoons. I just want, in my life, I hope at some point, you know, I get to work on a project that has that same kind of lasting effect on people. Sure. Because how cool is that, you know? And oh, you're yeah. doing that right now. So kids that are watching, you know, you as a Tin Man right now, as an adult, 
when they see that it's going to have the same effect that you, you know it's it's a very cool oh, thing yeah. Absolutely, uh, for sure i'm been a cartoon guy i love cartoons still to this day and i think it's so cool that you know in my yearbook i say that my goal is to be the voice of a cartoon character so it's kind of funny to see you sitting across and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you did it mm-hmm. you did it and that's just so cool because it's it's something that is so unique and special and um that people find really interesting. I mean, it's just an interesting, fascinating career, and it's really fun. So good for you. Thank you. So how do people find out more about you and all of your many talents? The delightful thing about having a weird last name like mine is I can get all of my handles are the same on everything. So if you just go to J.P. Karliak, K-A-R-L-I-A-K, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or my website, jpcarliac.com. It's all the same. It'll get you to the same person. And you can look him up and see all the stuff he's doing and see how multi-talented he is. And I love that he's described as multi-talented and a snappy dresser. <laughs> that's great because there's one thing no one will ever call me, and that's a snappy dresser. So, Do you know so where that comes I just need to that, – that doesn't just – that's not something that I just invented just for shits and giggles. Like um, – <laughs> There's an old story that I think Bob actually told me, Porky Pig, about Mel Blanc, the original voice of all the Looney Tunes, who would always... Now, we do voiceover. We're in a studio. We're not in front of a camera. Yeah. You know, we could come in our sweat... I don't advise it, but we could come in our sweatpants if we really feel like it. Right. You know, every now and then, someone will come from the gym. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, it's like... No one's looking at you. Who's seeing us? You right. know, it's all about the, the performance. Um, Mel would always come in a suit. Interesting. All the time. And... I'm not saying that I always come in a suit. I don't. But I do like, I like. I just like to uh, to kind of evoke just that little bit of panache, especially, you know, if yeah. I'm going to an event or something like that, that's like, yeah, blazer's appropriate. You know, we can spice this up a bit. Well, you know, and uh, they say, you know, dress for success. You know, you got to sure. be the part you want to play. So mm-hmm. you want to be successful, then dress successfully. Mm-hmm. Wear your strongest suit. Well, you are a snappy dresser, and you have a sense of style that I envy because my sense of style comes off the rack from a mannequin at the mall. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I am who I am, and I've learned to embrace Everything it, we so. wear starts on a mannequin <laughs> at the mall. So Absolutely. It's, it's fine. All right, so I have a couple questions for you. Sure. Um, so the first one, I want, want you, if you can, tell us about a time in your life that you failed or screwed up. And um, tell us about it, and then how you think of that time now. There are so many. <laughs> <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> well, yeah, you're making but a this career is, on it. But, right, um, and this is the whole point, is failure is universal. We've all done it. We've all sure. been there, done that. So just tell us about a time that you can think of. Um, I'm going to lump a few together Okay. Um, because I think it they all resonate similarly. I have failed in relationships, and I don't just mean romantic ones. I mean also friendships. Okay. I've always been a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that comes from being an adopted an adopted kid. It comes from being an only child. It comes from being a mama's boy. It comes from being a homosexual. <laughs> you know, right. like when you're gay, you know, there's always like, oh, I have to make it all better for you because you have to deal with me, you know. Or it's we have to make sure everybody likes us because if they find out who we really are, they may not later. Right. That was my thing. Like I wanted everybody to like me because I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And even after, you know, you go to enough therapy and you get over all of that crap, like <laughs> – you still, you know, there's still that residual, yeah, like, it's in you. please like me. Right. Um, and so I I think I've, I've gotten really, I, I was really hung up on making certain relationships work. Mm-hmm. And at the expense of myself. 
And I think, and you know, kind of in the same way that you know, my mom is helping everybody put on their mask before, well, as she gets sucked out of the plane. Like you know, <laughs> something that I've learned from the failure of several relationships, some in massively painful ways. Yeah, was that at the end of the day, like you are, you know, you have to be caring of other people. Right. You start, like you know, no, you shouldn't be a selfish person and just like you know, be an isolationist who is like, screw the world, I don't care. But uh, yeah, but I, I do believe that in order to be your best self to care for others, you need to be in. You need to be your best self. You need to be you know in healthy in all of your ways and and to take care of yourself first. Like self care is something that it I feel like self-care is something that we've always thought of as a bad thing like it's selfish it's like you're taking time for yourself you're you know spending you know oh god why aren't you you could be feeding so many homeless if you if you just got off your ass but it's more about you're so much better able to serve others when you yourself are okay and I think in, in those relationships I realized if I had just looked a little inward and noticed early on, like, oh, I if I, I I need to address what that pang in my heart is, what that need is, and address it with the other person or address it within myself. I feel like a the relationships might have been saved, mm-hmm. or b they might have still ended, and probably for the best. But I at least would have been prepared. Like this is good. This right. is you this is seen what it you need. A more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, clearly you didn't read my book because it's. That is the main principle of my book, <laughs> which I, I'm just going to call you out on that because um, it's, I, I say it's my version of selfish. It's okay to, to put yourself first. Sure. Because if you take care of yourself first and do what you need to do for you, you can be a better you for your family, your friends, your relationships, the world around I, you. I was just echoing what I had already oh, of course, read. Of course. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's very true. It's a great statement, you know, and, and, you know, when I talk to different groups, it, it comes up a lot um, because I talk about it a lot in the book and I just put it down to the its simplest terms and always say, you can't be a two unless you're a one. You know, one plus one is two. Mm-hmm. One plus zero is not two. So if you can't be a one, if you can't be, you know, yourself, you'll never be able to get to that next level. So it's a very common thing. And I'm glad that you realize it because the more you, you know, work on yourself and God knows I work on it daily. I'm screwing up all the time, but I know what I want to be and who I want to be, and I know how to protect myself and get myself, you know, to a place where my life can be what I want to be. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, you know, you're going to go in the right direction. So, so good, good. That was a, that was a, that was a that was a good one. Well, we took you. it down a deep road. All right. So the second one. Sure. After that serious uh, question. So what's your perfect day? Um, exploring a city, relaxing on a beach, climbing a mountain, or building a snowman. Uh, exploring a city, okay. absolutely. All right, why? Uh, um, I didn't really. I haven't didn't leave the country until two thousand eight. Oh wow! Yeah, um, I had a lot of friends that went abroad, you know, in high school and college, and you know, and after that and everything. And I just, you know, a, it, it was either we didn't have the money, or the, or just, you know, or I had a, a job that it just wasn't flexible enough to do that, and. Um, and I love to travel. Yeah. Like I love to see new places and get into the nooks and crannies of a city and be like, oh, this is how the locals live. And, yeah. you know, um, I love doing that. And 
only recently have I been able to start, you know, traveling abroad or just going to other places of the country. I did right. a couple of years ago. I toured the Pacific Northwest, and which it's, is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I could just like sit at a, you know, if I would love to just go to Portland, and just sit in a little bus and have people from every single restaurant just bring <laughs> me things for me to devour because you know at, at a certain point i would just become so obese i wouldn't even be able to move but like <laughs> but it'd be worth it <laughs> it would be all worth it because yeah. it's all so good all right and the most important question what is your favorite theme song for, as soon as you said that every single one i've ever heard just like slammed <laughs> into my head um oh i think i know what it is all right. It's time for Animaniacs, and we're zany to the max. Ooh, that sucks. Now good one. Now and relax. We'll laugh till you collapse. We're Animaniacs. So yeah. that's a really good one. A cartoon, a cartoon theme song that's my favorite would either be Tiny Toons, because I loved that one. Uh-huh. Or I love the Gummy Bears one. Oh, it's so good. That was so classic. I mean, DuckTales, Gummy oh, Bears, DuckTales. like there were so well, many Well, I actually watched ones. the new DuckTales just to see, to make sure that they included the theme song. And it's and so good. Did. It is. It's I was a so beautiful relieved. recording of This it. was a very big thing for me. When they remade Dallas, I was so concerned because I was afraid they were going to change the theme song, but they didn't. And I was yep. very happy. I think mm-hmm. me, I called my mom and we like giggled on the phone because that is normal. Um, but yes, yeah, so Animaniacs is a great one. So... Oh, but I will say, if I, since you picked two, if I had to go with the second, Shira. Shira? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not my favorite one. <laughs> it just has that, like. <laughs> it's so, like, you know. Shira, Shira. I'm in a barbarian disco. <laughs> Woo! Like, oh, my God. Yeah, I never really liked Shira. It was not my thing. I, I just didn't understand it. I mean, I was definitely more, more He Man. Yeah. But, well, to be honest. I was neither. I was Skeletor and Hordak. As, by the way, he's wearing a Skeletor t-shirt that says Skeletor is love. Because Skeletor is love. Yes, well. Everything I needed to know about life I learned from from Skeletor. Skeletor. Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) And on that note, well, (laughs) thank you so much for coming. It was a joy having you. It's nice to see you. And I'm so excited your career is so fantastic. You as well. I hope it continues to go to great places. So remember, if you want to check out JP, you can follow him anywhere at JP Karliak because his name is unique and fabulous. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, make sure to hit subscribe and rate, review us, and follow along on social media at LLTF the podcast. I absolutely love getting to this podcast. It is so much fun and want to be able to continue doing it for a long time to come. But it takes a lot of time and money, and that's where you come in. If you think you'd like to donate, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash LLTF the podcast, or you can donate via Venmo at LLTF the podcast.